Welcome to the I Don't Give a Should show, a podcast exploring all the ways that women should all over themselves. How many times do you find yourself acting out of obligation or doing what everyone else expects from you without stopping to consider why? Where do all those beliefs that are driving you come from? If you're tired of feeling resentful, overwhelmed, stuck, exhausted, or pissed off, you are in the right place. Shooting all over yourself is a real thing, but it doesn't have to be in the driver's seat. I'm your host, Jen Sherwood, and I spent way too many years trying to prove that I was good enough and worrying what other people thought while avoiding conflict at all costs. Today, I don't give a shit. Well, not as many anyway, and neither should you. I'm talking to women like you who figured out how to stop shooting and start living. You're listening to the I Don't Give a Should Show, episode number 25. I'm thrilled to bring you today my guest, Joanne Kobuke. Joanne is a certified hypnotist and life coach who helps women 40 and over achieve weight loss success. Joanne, my guess is people's ears just perked up right now. (laughs) (laughs) Using a powerful combination of hypnosis and coaching, Joanne helps women identify and remove the limiting beliefs and misperceptions that block their success. She's excited to share how women can benefit from this work, not only in their weight loss efforts, but in all aspects of their life. I love that. After 35 years as a certified public accountant working in the nonprofit sector, Joanne decided it was time for a change once she became an empty nester. Following a lifelong interest in personal development and hypnosis, she started a second career as a life coach and certified hypnotist. She's the mother of two adult daughters and lives with her husband and their two dogs in the beautiful Pacific Northwest. Welcome, Joanne. I am just thrilled to have you here. Thank you, Jennifer. I'm excited to be here too. This is going to be fun. Yeah. I feel like we're kindred spirits a little bit. I have two daughters who are basically on the cusp of adulthood, 18 and 22. Mm-hmm. I have two dogs. Like we're, mm-hmm. we're in the two club here. And yeah. um, those, do- I don't know about you and anybody listening, but the dogs, they are the comic relief in our lives these days. <laughs> yes. Yes, they are. Yeah. I have an older dog and a puppy. So Having a puppy is like having a child in the house again. So it's been very interesting. (laughs) Okay. This is just weird because we have a nine and a half year old and a puppy. (laughs) (laughs) Was it the pandemic? We did the quintessential or the stereotypical pandemic puppy. Yeah. Yeah. For us, it was that our, we've always had dogs. We've sometimes we've had lots of dogs Oh, funny. and our dog is, you know, getting older and we have the sense that she's not going to be with us forever. So my husband says, okay, if I'm going to have to train a new dog, I want to do it before I'm too old. Okay. All right. <laughs> because, you know, we're not spring chickens here. And so <laughs> he says, I don't want to be doing this too far out. I said, okay. I said, well, you realize that if you do it now, this may be the last dog we have. And he goes, I don't want to talk about that part. We're just going to talk about the puppy. Now. There we go. Yeah. Well, said, okay. you said, like having a puppy is like having a baby around and that takes a lot of energy. Yeah. Yeah. Really I does. love it. I love it. But it's fun. So, Joanne, the question for you, my friend, was, let's get to it. What was it like for you when you were living under the shoulds? Oh, I learned to be a chameleon. That's the way I talk about it. I was that person who could, I had like my antenna out all the time. Okay, what was expected of me? What was I supposed to be doing? How could I do that? And kind of fly under the radar so that 
I met everyone's expectations. Yes. So that's what it was like for me. It was exhausting. (laughs) So say more about that because, well, having personal experience, it's funny that you call it the chameleon. I call it the shapeshifter. That's how I felt like I was constantly shapeshifting Mm -hmm. to fit into what people thought I should be. And so I get, I really get what you're saying, (laughs) but for people who are listening, so I can imagine your radar's up. So one, you're constantly on alert. And then you're reading the situation, the room, whatever, and then figuring out how do I do this thing? And so why is that? Why is it important to to kind of fit into what was going to happen if you didn't do the thing? You know, it's different for different people. For me, it really stemmed from a lack of self-confidence, which Mm -hmm. is, I think, something that a lot of women have to deal with. So as a young girl, I lived in Mississippi. Okay. So look at this face. (laughs) All those years ago, there was not a very common face in Mississippi. And so I never felt like I fit in. Mm. And I was kind of a, I'm an introverted person. I would just kind of tiptoe around. And what do you say to that? Okay. So I had to figure out, okay, how was I supposed to act? How are people going to respond to me? What did they expect of me? And, you know, when you're doing that, you never get a chance to really develop into who you are. Yes. Because you're so focused on what you need to be for your environment to be able to survive, you know, however that means, however that plays out for you. And so that's where I learned to do the dance. And yeah, even <laughs> even when I moved up to the Pacific Northwest, where there's large Asian community and all these kinds of things, I still didn't feel like I fit in. Yeah, because I wasn't socialized in the Japanese community, and I was taller than the average Japanese girl. I moved up in high school, and so I was taller. I didn't speak the language. I didn't know any of the customs. I was just totally out of it. So I thought, well. Well, this is just great. Here I am among my people, and I still feel like an outsider. So, yeah. where do I find my spot? You know, so now I'm tiptoeing around under a different set of circumstances. And I don't know, you just you just get good at doing that, right? Yeah. You know, it's interesting. I was listening to you and I was thinking, if you're constantly the chameleon who's constantly changing, and you said that prevents you from developing into yourself. So you're navigating this one environment. And then you move to the other one, but you're not really developed into yourself. So you're still trying to navigate in, even though there there was this probably hope in your mind that you're going to be among people who are more like you. And so it would just be easy, but Mm -hmm. it's not. I'm just imagining this teenage version of you that's like, okay, this is going to be great. And then you get there and you're like, well, shoot, like it's just the same thing. And I love that you use the metaphor of doing the dance. A really good friend of mine says this all the time that when we're trying to be what we think other people want, it's like tap dancing. Mm -hmm. And so I love that you said that because I feel that same way that you're like on the stage, like here's all my glitter and shiny and, you know, I'm going to be what you And this is why you should love me. Yes. Only it's not me. And it's not me. And it's exhausting. Yeah. It is exhausting. Yeah. So you land up there. You're still in the chameleon mode. Where do we go from here? Well, 
you know, you try to fit in and you do all the things that you're supposed to do. Yeah. You know, left high school, graduated from high school, went to college, did all of those things. Although I took a little hiatus. I, I went to college for the first year and I looked around. So, <laughs> so those people who know me may be surprised to know that I was actually enrolled in the interior design program oh. at the University of Washington when I first started. And that was because I wanted to go into architecture because I love houses and I love space planning. But the counselor said, well, you know, there's a lot of math involved in architecture. And I don't know if, you know, I don't see a lot of math in your high school background. So maybe that wouldn't be the best choice for you. Oh. And so, you know, as a young, naive girl, I'm mm -hmm. nodding and listening. So, oh, okay. And they said, so we, what about interior design? Don't you think that that would be a better choice? And I'm like, okay. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yes. I have no artistic skill. I have no drawing <laughs> capability. I have no eye-hand coordination. My, my handwriting is a mess. My signature, people say, oh, you could have been a doctor with that handwriting. <laughs> So there I am. Again, not fitting in. I am at the art school at the University of Washington where all of these people who have all this artistic talent. Oh my gosh. Here I am in this drawing class and I'm like, oh, this is really bad. <laughs> really, really bad. We're paying round cog. Exactly. Like, it doesn't work. Exactly. Exactly. I remember once particularly having to go on this class assignment to go out and draw sculptures in the city. I resorted to like rubbings and etchings because I couldn't draw. You're in survival anything. mode at that point. You're like, really how do was. I turn something in? I really was. And so I ended up leaving and getting a job, making some money, you know, doing all those kind of things. And I finally realized, okay, I don't really want to be on this side of the desk as the secretary, as the office manager, as the whatever. Yeah. I now figure out, okay, I am business oriented. My mind thinks that way. Okay, let's go back to school now where I know what I want to do and get a degree so that I'm not stuck over here behind the typewriter all the time. And can we just note for those of you listening along in the introduction that she used to be a certified public accountant. I find it hilarious that the counselor was saying to you, I don't know about all the math. And then you're yeah, the right. numbered focused profession. So just a little sidebar that I find funny. Well, there's math and there's math, right? In accounting, it's more what I call simple math. Okay. Um, certainly not trigonometry and calculus and all yes. those kind of things. Good point. But. Good point. <laughs> so you went out into the world and you got some experience and which is really great because then you were like, okay, I know I don't want this. I know I do want this. So you're not shooting. You're following what feels right for you at that point. Yeah. You know, you finally kind of branch out and as you grow older and a little more mature, you know, you start to question, okay, well, do I really have to do that? Isn't there some better way? Can't I do something a little differently? But it takes a long time, yeah. I think, to, you know, and it's a lot of one step forward, two steps back. Right. Because you try something new and it doesn't quite happen. And because you a lot of times don't have a lot of support for that, you yeah. go, oh, okay, that must not be for me. So I'm stepping back over here in yes. my little safe spot. Yes. And we'll just hang out here. But you know, eventually you get fed up being in that safe spot and you think, well, 
maybe I'll try again. You know, so yes, yeah, stick your head out there. And if you're lucky, you don't get it chopped off right away. <laughs> <laughs> you're able to kind of. So yeah, it's kind of like a turtle, you know, yeah. out of the shell. So it doesn't sound like there was a single event per se that started to turn the tide for you. Was it, was there one thing or was it experience after experience that helped you shift? Well, it finally, so I was really good at playing this game. So for 35 years, I was in the accounting world doing all my spreadsheets and reports and things like that. But all during that time, I kept thinking, this is fun and all, but I'm not really doing what feeds my soul. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you, you put it off. You think, okay, fine. We spend most of our life waiting for the next thing to happen. Like when, I, when I turn 16 and I can drive a car, when I graduate from high school, I can do this. When I get out of college, I'll be able to do this. Okay. So for me, it was, well, when I have run my course in this career, I'll be able to do something different. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then one day, I talk about this in, in a chapter of a book that I was participated in. One day, I read this blog post online, and it was a woman who wrote about the five regrets of the dying. Okay. And she was a hospice nurse in Australia. And so she spent time with her clients in the last months of her, their lives, and they talked a lot about what they were experiencing. And she she wrote about what the typical things that she heard people say. And there were five regrets. And I always I always get to the fourth one and then I forget the last one. But the biggest one was I regret not living the life I wanted and living the life I was expected to live. I regret that I didn't keep in touch with my friends. I regret that I didn't allow myself to be happier. Mm. And I don't know, there were a couple more. But the thing is, they just all struck a chord in me. I mean, the the hair on the back of my arms kind of stood up. And I've always been uh, a very optimistic person. In spite of all the other things that have happened in my life, I still believe that there's always time. Things get better. You just have to kind of put your mind to it. So, it really just kind of hit me like a ton of bricks. Yeah. There is a hard stop. You know, yeah. Well, duh. Yeah. But we don't think about that. We think, yeah. oh, we still have time. There's always time until there's not. Right. And I got that physical sensation of what it would be like to be there on my taking my last breath and regretting <sighs> all the things that I didn't do because now there's no no chance. It's done. That's it. Yeah. That was your time. There's no rain yes. check. There's no second chance. That's it. At least. Not that we know of in this life. <laughs> right. Yeah. And it scared me so much that I thought, okay, I need to be doing something here. And then shortly after that, my daughter made this birthday cake for me. She loves to cook. She doesn't like to bake so much, but she made this cake for me. And she put on it those little kids' candles. Right, the colorful numbered candles because oh, she yeah. said, Okay, mom, don't get mad, but you know, you got a lot of candles that have to go on there. And that doesn't leave a lot of room for the cake. Oh, okay. that's hilarious. Oh, thank you, honey. <laughs> Thanks for the reminder. Yeah, yeah. yeah. 
So I'm like, okay. So she puts, so there's a, a four and a six, right? Mm-hmm. It's, uh, she puts it on a cake. Only it's not a four and a six. It's a six and a four. Uh. And <laughs> we all know how old we are, although right. we like to forget, right? But suddenly seeing those candles on that cake and reading that stuff before about regrets, it's just like, hit me like a ton of bricks. It's like, okay, I need to make a change. This is the universe telling me it's now or never, honey. You don't have forever. And if you want to do stuff, you better get on it. So that was really the impetus. Things happened at work, conspired to make it time for me to retire. It's like, okay, this is the other signal. Yeah. You know, and nature has a way of encouraging you, right? Yeah. And so it gives you nudges. And typically we ignore the first few nudges. I was just going to say, it gives you nudges if you listen. Yeah. And then one day it says, you aren't paying attention. <laughs> what did that look like? Literally, what, what was happening well, when it really came knocking? Yeah, exactly. It was this series of things that I described to you. Okay. And if you really ignore it, it gives you a knock upside the head. Yeah. And a lot of times that comes by way of some kind of catastrophe, whether yes. it's a health problem, a financial problem, you know, something else happens because it needs to get your attention. Yeah. So I thought, well, okay, I'm not going to wait for the big blowout to happen, whatever that might be. I'm going to take my cue now, even though I've ignored them in the past. And so I left and I spent mm, about a year and a half of what I call wandering in the desert, (laughs) trying this. And by that time, I had really been, really been isolated from the greater world. I lived in my little world of spreadsheets yeah. and yeah. you know working with nonprofit organizations and doing these things. And I had it down. And I had a lot of confidence about my work and my abilities. And I thought, okay, that's great. Well, that doesn't always translate into the <laughs> real world outside of the office room, yes. you know, outside of your office. So I'm out there and I'm thinking, okay, I've always wanted to have a business, but I don't want an accounting business. So I want to find something else. And I don't, I don't know quite what that is. So I start searching on the internet, looking around for online businesses, looking for one thing led to another. And I started joining some networking groups. And this was when you could actually go out and meet people in person. Mm-hmm. And I found that I was terrified. <laughs> yeah. I was petrified. Because we are talking, now I'm not talking about company, you know, some nameless, faceless company. I'm talking about me. Yes. Providing services to someone else. Yes. And it was terrifying (laughs) because, you know, you feel it. Well, it's all about me. Well, what if they don't like me? You know, and your whole brain goes into that protection mode. Yeah. Oh, what if they don't like me? What if you're not good enough? What if, you know, what if, what if, what? So now it's a whole different level of shoulds. Yeah. Right. Yeah, I should get some accreditation. You know, I came from the CPA world. So you you get your professional credentials and blah, blah, blah. So obviously, you know, I need to do that, whatever that is. And I love learning. I'm a perpetual learner. So I go down the rabbit hole for all kinds of technical things because I do like technical things. And so I spent a large amount of money Mm. learning this program and that program and all about online this and online that. And then 
try, but it still didn't solve the problem of I have to be able to be visible and open my mouth and speak right. with confidence about the work that I'm going to do. So I thought, okay, what else do I need to do? So I started working on personal development, which is one thing that I had always wanted to spend more time with. One of my sisters, she was a bank executive. She's retired now, but I watched her have to do all those hard things. Yeah. Right. Because she worked in the corporate world and she had to learn the politics. She had to learn how to deal with people doing things. I, that was not for me. Yeah. I loved being in the nonprofit world because the hierarchy is very flat. You get to deal directly with the people involved and the focus is all is different. So I never learned how to do those things. Right. And I never kind of toughened up a little bit. I had pretty thin skin when it came to getting hurt or feeling that, you know, maybe I wasn't doing what I was supposed to. And so I had always thought, well, I kind of missed the boat because I didn't put myself into that environment mm-hmm. and I didn't mm-hmm. learn those lessons. Yeah. And now I need them and I don't have them. So, you know, I pushed myself out. I have a funny story about in the, how in the very beginning I had met some people online that were really interesting to me in the world of coaching. And this one woman in particular, she lived in Dubai. And I thought, oh, well, I'll never get to meet her because yeah. I'm, you know, the chances of my going to Dubai are pretty slim. Well, then she t- it turns out that she was going to speak at an event about five hours from here. And I thought, well, oh, maybe I could go to that event. I look up the event and it turns out to be this a woman entrepreneur whose business was helping people learn how to speak on stage. Here we go, universe. Another little nudge, right? right? That's right. You need to go five hours Uh to this Right. That's right. You can drive five hours. I love road trips. So I did. And it was such a foreign thing to me because I didn't have a business yet. Mm -hmm. I had to like scramble and make some kind of card because I was sure they were going to be exchanging cards. Yes, Yes. Right. And I thought, well, I'm going to try a new experience. So I saw something on in the Facebook group there that said, uh, looking for a roommate. And I thought, well, okay, I'll raise my hand. My kids are like, you're going to do what, mom? <laughs> going someplace you don't even know? And you're going to stay with somebody that you don't even know? Oh, mom, I don't, I don't know about you. Who is this person? Where, and what have you done with our what? mother? Exactly. So I did. And yeah, I go and... She sends out this little thing before the event. She says, okay, here's the choreography for the dance that we're going to do for our little flash mob thing. Oh, boy. I'm like, what? Talk about getting visible. Well, yeah. And talk about moving outside your comfort zone. Yes. I'm like, dance? What are you talking about dance? So she, you know, she's on her back deck doing her little thing. I'm just like, oh. And then she sends out, you know, the next installment. There's like three or four of these. I'm like. I don't think so. <laughs> it's too late to stop now. Can I, do I have to go? But I go anyway. And I have my first photo shoot for my business up there. Nice. Because it was one of the things they offered. Only I forgot all my clothes. You know, this is a Freudian thing, right? Yeah. I left the clothes that I had put together at home on the bed as I was driving. Mm-hmm. And I got about two and a half hours out. So you're halfway there. It's yes. too far to turn back. Well, I had to turn back because I'd spent this money for this photographer. Right. And all of those, so I have to drive all the way back. And now I'm really driving in traffic to get up there and all those things. So, yeah. And I get there 
And there are all these women. <laughs> and of course, in my mind, they're all superstars. They must be all seven-figure yes. entrepreneurs, yes. Blah, 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 all these things. So I screw up my courage. I march right in. I sit right at one of the front tables with my back towards this huge group of women. Yes. Because I can pretend that it's not as overwhelming as it would be if I were sitting at the back. Yep. But it was really an amazing event. I got to meet a lot of women. I ended up signing up with this woman to do speaker training. And yeah, so that was that was one of the early things. Yeah. So Joanne, tell us how you came to find coaching and hypnotism. And so you've gone to this event, you've put yourself out there, things are starting to shift for you. So tell us how you got into where you are now. Well, I became introduced to the world of coaching because there were a lot of coaches there, right? Yeah. And I'm like, well, what is this? How does this work? So you follow the breadcrumbs. Mm-hmm. And eventually I signed up for a coaching program here in Seattle. Great program. It, uh, <laughs> I always laugh because it disabused me of the idea that coaches just tell people what to do. <laughs> exactly. It's not our jobs. <laughs> no, it's not. And I'm like, what? Well, what am I supposed to do then if I don't tell them what to do? <laughs> Aren't I just supposed to hand out advice? Isn't that yeah, it? Yeah. Ooh. Yeah. No, you don't. By the way, <laughs> anyone who's listening, if you think that's what coaches do, that's not what we do. <laughs> that's not what we do. No. It was all revealed to me, right? The fact that coaches, the, your job as a coach is to help people discover what's inside of them because everyone has their own answers inside. You just can't get to them. Because we have lots of layers of shoulds and expectations and chameleons in our way getting there. Exactly. Exactly. So, okay. So I got certified and I'm trying to figure out, okay, well, what direction do I want to go? I knew I wanted to help women like myself who had spent their lives doing all the things they were supposed to do and they were stuck Yeah. and they're looking down the road and they're thinking, okay, well, one day, but Going back to that, the five regrets of the dying, one of the clients that was highlighted in her book, because she did write a book about these things, was a woman who had done all the things that she was supposed to do. She had, she had not a great marriage, but society doesn't condone divorce, at least not when she was right. you know, in that stage. So she stayed with it, stayed with it, stayed with it. And the idea was always kind of, well, he was older than her. Eventually, you know, she would be free. The one day theory. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so he ended up going into a nursing home. She was very healthy, although she was in her 70s. She was healthy. She goes, okay, it's now, now it's my turn. Mm-hmm. So you know where this is going, right? I do, yes. Yeah. I, well, I so, can imagine. I can right. imagine. In a matter of months, she was diagnosed with a terminal illness. Yeah. And it really brings home that sense that there is no guarantee to tomorrow. Exactly. I mean, all it, you know, a split second of not paying attention when you're driving your car, all of those kinds of things. So that was another thing that made me realize that, okay, yeah. got to get to it. Yeah. Okay. So you've, you've done this program. You're going to start working with the women who are like you, who feel stuck, help mm-hmm. them through. Mm-hmm. And so what takes you into you where noticed? you are now? Yeah. Well, when I was a kid, I was interested in hypnosis. I must have been because I ended up hypnotizing my little sister. Oh, funny. You know, one of those kind of, you know, I was like, I read about it in something. I'm like, oh, well, that looks kind of interesting. Let me see if I can do that. So 
I corralled one of my younger sisters and I hypnotized her. Although to this day, she will tell you that she was not hypnotized, but she was six. I'm a little sister. I know what it's like to deny that sort of thing. (laughs) But the thing is, what convinced me was that I wanted to show my mom. Mm. And so I hypnotized my mom. I look at this. So I hypnotized my sister and I told her to hold up her arm, you know, make it like a bar of steel, hold up your arm. So she does. The arm goes out like this. And my mom's like, what are you doing? And my mom is, well, she was a very formidable person. She's gone now. But so she said to my sister, you stop that. Stop that right now. And and my mother's voice gets louder and louder and louder until she's just like, really? And I'm like, okay, put your arm down. (laughs) Because I'm afraid. You were a powerful person, even at a young age. This is amazing. You had this natural ability. And so you decide to. I guess so. But I tell you, my mom scared me so badly that I never did that again. (laughs) (laughs) I can imagine. I can imagine. (laughs) At this stage in life, I thought, okay, because I had learned, I had been involved in a program that used elements of hypnosis along with other kinds of things, NLP, Uh EFT emotional freedom tapping and things like that. And I thought, oh, I want to know more about this hypnosis. I remember this. Yeah. <laughs> so again, the universe acts in your and always in your best interest. I start researching hypnosis classes and I wanted an in-person one. I didn't want an online one. And we were at the tail end of, well, we were still like dead in the middle of pandemic and all of that. But I found a place a really great center about an hour and a half for me. And they were having an in-person session that was going to start next week, Tuesday or something. Yeah, You and these, these in-person <laughs> events that grab you. So let me just ask this. So you do the hypnosis because this is supposed to happen. Talk to me a little bit now about who you work with and how the hypnosis is an important I don't even know if adjunct is the right thing to say with coaching, but talk to me about who you work with and how that all comes together. Right. Well, in coaching, you deal with the conscious mind, right? Typical coaching is about helping a client to see, you know, what's going on in their brain. And your conscious mind is designed to be kind of the gatekeeper and to keep you safe. So it typically will throw up objections when you're asking it to change or consider something new and different. So a lot of coaching is trying to help your client step over that threshold. And frankly, I found it kind of frustrating. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Because, you know, there's part of me that goes, this is how it should be. You know, again, wanting to give advice, right? Yes. So what I discovered about hypnosis was that Hypnosis allows you to bypass Mm, all of that conscious thinking and those conscious objections so that you can get right down to the meat of things. So it's like you you said it puts the wall up. So hypnosis allows either to get over the wall or to mm -hmm. the wall stays down. Am I understanding that correctly? Right. Exactly. It allows you to access your subconscious mind, which is an extremely powerful, much more powerful than your conscious mind. And it is where all of your emotions and experiences are stored. Uh, and 
its job has been over the course of time to try to make sense out of all the things that have happened to you in your life. Yeah. And it creates a belief system for you. Well, the problem is that a lot of that work is done between the ages of zero and seven. So, really, what's happening for most people is that your five year old brain is governing your life today because all of those beliefs were created in that time frame. And a lot of them are erroneous beliefs and misperceptions about actual events. But the thing is, you never go back and review those things and say, let me do a little reality check on those things. We don't know they're there. No. No. Yeah. Okay. So you're combining coaching and the hypnosis to get into the subconscious. Tell us about your work today. And I know you have an upcoming workshop as well. So please tell us a little bit about what you're doing and what you're offering. So I've decided that focusing on weight loss, especially in that over 40 category, is an important aspect of helping women develop their self-confidence, regain their sense of who they used to be. And, you know, it's a source of great frustration. Yes. Yeah. When you get to that stage and it seems like everything is conspiring against you. Yeah. Right. At that stage, we're often less physically active. So we lose muscle mass. That means our metabolism starts to slow. It's not because we're getting older. It's just because we're doing less. We Mm -hmm. always kind of tend to think that, oh, it's because I'm getting older, but it's not that. And so I've learned how to use hypnosis to help women explore those feelings and emotions and belief systems that they have about food, about eating, about their self-image, about who they are as a person, because it's those thoughts that govern your actions and your emotions today. And that's what gets us into trouble because we're still operating on those old misperceptions. Yes. I love where you're going with this. And sometimes I think people who are unfamiliar with coaching and thoughts and beliefs really question what we're talking about. And the example I love to use with this is, you know, people used to think the world was flat. So don't believe everything that you think. I love, love, love what you're doing. And I imagine women listening are like, oh, I need to know about that. We'll put all this information in the post with this, but just give some ways that people could, even if maybe the workshop isn't, well, before I, you know, they're going to want to follow you. They're going to want to hear from you. So where can we find you? And then where can we find information about the workshop? Yes. So you can find me at Joanne Kobake Hypnosis. Very simple. Uh, it's my website, joannekobakehypnosis.com. You can find me on Facebook and on Instagram. Those are okay. my primary platforms. And you want to follow her because you want to follow her. <laughs> She's got great information for you all. And Joanne, this has been such a pleasure to have you here. Thank you for coming and sharing your story. And I have no doubt there are women who are listening that were nodding along and could relate to that experience of what you went through. And, And I really love how you shared the way the five regrets of the dying impacted you, because I do think that is so important to look at one day one day may not be there. So let's live the life we want now. So thank you for being here, Joanne. Thank you very much, Jennifer. I've enjoyed it very much. Hey friend, if you recognize yourself in these stories and you don't want to give a should anymore, you have to join my coaching community, the GC. 
Come learn the tools to recognize when fear and worry are running the show and how to shift into more of what you want without guilt or blowing up your life. Unless, of course, that's what you want. Inside the GC, you'll learn strategies to start making yourself a priority. Stop saying yes when you mean no. Have hard conversations and so much more. And you get to do this with a group of women who are making the same changes in their lives and are there to support you, not judge you. It's a seriously warm, safe space where genuine connections are made. The GC is where doubt and loneliness meet their match. You can get all the info at jennifersherwood.com slash the GC. But if you're not ready for something like that yet, I've got you. Head over to my website, jennifersherwood.com and hit the relief right now button. I'll send three ridiculously simple steps to go from overwhelm to ease.